All right. This is the first episode of Monster Kid Radio covering the Monster Bash. Going to try to get at least two or three out of this. It's the first official day. I guess I did some things last night. Oh, by the way, this is Derek Cook. Welcome to the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear, Monster Kid Radio. Welcome to the show. Welcome to Monster Bash 2017. I'm sitting here in the lobby with three people that you've heard on the show in the past. I'm just going to go around the table. Guys, introduce yourself and say something about the bash so far, starting on my left. Hey, everyone. This is Richard Chamberlain, the Monster Movie Kid. And uh, first time basher. I've been wanting to go here for a long time, and the festivities are just beginning. Uh, We got to see the opening ceremonies this morning and uh, getting ready to see uh, Mr. Big himself, Berdiah Gordon, doing a Q&A in about 20 minutes or so. Hey, everybody. It's Jeff Owens from ClassicHorrors.club. And my first bash also, uh, already been tempted by the poster room, which I should have known better. I asked Derek last night, what is the poster room? And he said, it's a very dangerous place. (laughs) So I was able to restrain because I want to see what else is here, but uh, this looks like it's going to be a great time. And this is Scott Morris from the Disney Indiana podcast. I've been at Monster Bash for about an hour now. But this is actually my third bash, and I too have been tempted by the poster room because I actually found some Disney stuff in there. Ichabod and Mr. Crane. (laughs) It is a very, very dangerous room, and and these guys are too modest to mention it. Jeff and Rich, they're podcasters too. Neither one of you mentioned your podcast. What's your podcast? The Classic Chorus Club podcast. We launched it back in January. Um, It's just kind of an extension of what we had both been kind of doing on our blogs. And uh, it's a once-a-month podcast, uh, part of the Phantom Podcasting Network. I always stumble over that. <laughs> what are you looking forward to most, Jeff? I want to meet Veronica Carlson. I want to say that I have met a, a hammer person. I have not up to now. So, What about you, Scott? What are you looking forward to the most? Hanging out with you guys uh, and other, uh, other attendees of the bash. I'm looking forward to to that and also checking out the dealer room hopefully not to spend too much money <laughs> and rich what about you i'm just going to hand over my wallet to, to you know just at the front doors like here take it i ran into juan last night already he's starting to set things up so uh i'm looking forward to get some maybe some stuff i can't find anywhere else uh, maybe a rare movie or maybe a collectible or something and i'm, I'm really looking forward to meeting mr Riku browning uh, i've never had a chance to meet him so for me, you know, yeah, I want to meet Veronica Carlson. I want to, you know, say I've met Riku Browning again. Not that he remembers me. Well, I don't know. Well, Disney podcaster has met these people, and the horror podcasters have not met these people. <laughs> You're my co-host on Down Place, man. You, know, you, you got your in. Yeah, it's true. I'm actually now officially part of Monster Kid Radio. Na 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 na. With the Monster Kid Radio Network, that's right. I didn't bring any promo material for that. I wanted to. I do have some Monster Kid Radio postcards, and every time I go by, they're gone. So I have to put out more. So, uh, you know, promoting the show a little bit. But the biggest thing that I'm looking forward to the most is just hanging out with people, meeting people that I've never met before, or at least not in person. Uh, spending time with Rich and Jeff last night was a blast, and I can't wait to spend more time with you guys and build some more Bash memories. I don't know who else is in there right now. I mean, I've run into a few people. And I'm just looking forward to doing that and, and recording as much as possible. This is what I do. So. Barry Harding is here. Uh, Barry Harding has also been on your show. Mm-hmm. Ran into him a couple of times. I ran into him in the poster room this morning. He was on his way to get coffee. <laughs> Speaking of which, I'm going to drink some more of mine. And then what, what do you say? We go try to crash this uh, Bird Eye Gordon uh, conversation Q&A? Yep. 
Sounds good. More prophetic than his prediction of space travel in Things to Come. More imaginative than his laser beams in War of the Worlds. More frightening than his warning of nuclear holocaust in The Time Machine. From H.G. Wells, history's most credible prophet, now comes his most incredible story. Empire of the Ants. A terrifying tale of civilization fighting for survival against armies of giant ants ten feet tall who control the human population by drugging them into submission. And man the master becomes man the slave. Joan Collins, Robert Lansing, H.G. Wells, Empire of the Ants from American International Pictures. Rated PG, parental guidance suggested. Empire of the Ants. They shall inherit the earth sooner than you think. A beautiful woman and three adventurers dare to challenge the unknown in a land where life and love is ruled by the Lord of Nightmares, the Cyclops. Susan! Susan, it's me, Russ! What happened? How did you get here? Yet their fate rests in the death-defying courage of a beautiful girl. My name is Susan. Susan Winters. He's looking at her. Can you hear me? Here is nature gone mad, revealing an unbelievable world of terror. A world mastered by a monstrous mutation. The spawn of nuclear fury. Here is a weird, suspense-filled journey that hurtles you into the most frightening adventure the screen has ever shown. What that made that print is about ten times the size of a normal man. What happens to our world if massive, monstrous man-beasts like this invade us? Flown a captive to a West Coast metropolis in an army cargo plane, his arrival catapults the whole city into an ocean of fear. For this colossal beast is at war with the world, our world, a world his savage instincts can only hate. An airlift is being set up and food will be parachuted down to him. He'll be supplied with everything he needs. Get all the aircraft into the air at once. Colossal Man is loose in Los Angeles. Look! Look at the giant! It's the civilized world in blood-freezing horror. 
as the immeasurable power of this colossal beast threatens a war of brutality such as we've never known. so happy that Bert has honored us by being here this weekend. Thank you so much, Bert. Now, Boris Karloff once said that, you know, when asked about his longevity, he said um, it was, he owed it to good, clean living right up to 16. <laughs> and Bert, I gotta ask you, um, What's your secret to longevity? I mean, you're, you, you, you're still making movies, you're still very much involved, and you're still doing shows. What's your secret? No! <laughs> <laughs> He's a man without secrets. Okay, well, uh, can you tell us, first off, in terms of what, what was your, uh, your breakout movie, the movie that really got you started in, yeah, as a director, producer, got you started in your career. What was your first the movie that really kicked things off for you? Well, actually, I started at nine years old making movies. Uh, my aunt gave me a movie camera, and I made movies with neighborhood kids. And um, that's all I wanted to do was make movies. And as I grew up, I. Um, at the University of Wisconsin, I, I had a newsreel that, of all the activities, and finally I got to um, Hollywood. No, I, first of all, I, I started making independent films, and, um, and then finally I decided I had to go to Hollywood, and I went to Hollywood, and it took me about it took me about. Um, eight months in Hollywood, knocking on doors, trying to get in, get, to be able to make a movie. And um, so I had one friend that I made that, in Hollywood who had a, um, uh, a shop that made the titles for the movies. And he asked me uh, one day, uh, Bert, do you have the uh, a movie camera that you brought from Minnesota when you came here, a uh, 16 millimeter, and I said, yeah, it's 16 millimeter, all right. He said, um, uh, could you bring it because we have a man who needs titles for his 16 millimeter movie. Uh, no, for his movie. I said, but uh, it, um, it's 16 millimeter. He said, no problem, we'll just blow it up. So the next day, I was walking down the hall with the camera, and the man walked up to me and he said, oh, that Herbert Gordon, do you have a He said, how would you like to make a movie? I said, well, of course I'd like to make a movie, but this is 16 millimeter. He said, no problem, we'll blow it up. And, <laughs> and that's how I started making movies. I made my first movie with a 16 millimeter blown up and I can see myself right now 
uh, outside of a theater with the movies. Great. That's great. That's great. One of my favorites in one of your early films was um, The Cyclops. Uh, with that was uh, in the late 50s with Lon Chaney Jr. Um, when first off, where did you get your idea for that film? The because uh, you, you that you wrote that film, right? The Cyclops. With your idea for the Cyclops? Yeah, that, that was my first movie. Um, after I made uh, the movie with this man in the hallway, uh, then I decided to make up my uh, my own movie. And I um, sat down in a typewriter and mm, wrote the Cyclops. That's great. That's great. What was uh, memories of working with Lon Chaney Jr.? Lon Chaney Jr. was in that film. It, it, it was terrific. He, um, he was not quite happy that uh, he wasn't his father. Right. And. Um, I made it as happy as it could, and he made a good movie. Okay. Um, I'm going to open it up to questions at this point, so let me see some hands if anybody's got any questions. Uh, right over here, young man. Um, Bird Gordon, what is your favorite movie you have made? Like, what's your favorite movie that you made? That I made? All of them. <laughs> made more than 25 sci-fi and horror films, at least uh, 25 sci-fi and horror films that you've made. Uh, questions? We have questions out there. Right over here. Uh, of all the films you made, what would you consider the most technically difficult portion to do of, of any film that you worked on? Most technically difficult aspect of a film that you've, you've made? Well, there was a lot of difficulty in, you know, making the giant whatever. And I, I, um, like for instance, there was the um, a certain insect that I needed to uh, enlarge, and uh, the the government said, no, you're not bringing that insect into this country. So I, I went down to that country, and uh, with uh, to make to make the close-ups and the, and then see i did all my own visual effects all my own giants and stuff so i went down there and, and filmed the uh the creatures down there and then came back and then uh, one other thing uh for shooting the giant rats in um, one of the movies they um they, they wouldn't let me put the miniature lab in, uh, in America, uh, on the uh, American side, in other words, so I had the same thing. We always had to make arrangements to uh, shoot. If you won't let us shoot here, we'll shoot her. But you always found a way to get it done. Yeah, had to. <laughs> okay, uh, how about right over here? Yep. Hi, Bert. Thank you so much for coming again. The question about the magic sword and Estelle Winwood. She's one of my favorite character actresses. Do you have any special stories about working with her? Working with Estelle Ward? Uh, Estelle Winwood. 
Estelle Winwood in The Magic Sword. Oh, she was a sweetheart. <laughs> she really was, honestly. Uh, all I can think is the nice things to do with her. That's great to hear. Yeah. All right, questions. We have questions out there. On the aisle, right there. Yep. Working with Peter, the cast of Beginning of the End, Peter Graves, and some of the other actors in the Beginning of the End. Uh, what were your memories of working with them? <laughs> I, I can honestly say. In all of my movies, I really made this. The, uh, the actors were friendly. They, they wanted to make a better movie. And uh, that, that's it. That's, uh, so, in other words, um, essentially, they didn't think they were making, you know, like, lesser movies. They gave it their all. No. No, they, they felt uh, they were making a movie. They, it, was, it was terrific. It really was. It wasn't uh, uh, like, uh, oh, we're going to make a lower budget movie or the, not at all. They all were, got right in there. And um, uh, like Lon Chaney Jr., he was unhappy because he wasn't his father. And uh, so I, I built him up as a, in his part and so on, and he was happy. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, questions right over here. Yep. Hi, yes, Mr. Gordon. What was it like working with Basil Rathbone? What was it like working with Basil Rathbone? It was terrific. It was terrific. <laughs> <laughs> it was really terrific working with uh, with all the actors. They uh, they all wanted to pitch in and, and do the best they could. It wasn't that, oh, they're making a lower budget movie or a higher, whatever, nothing like that. Absolutely nothing like that. So that's why I really, really enjoyed making the movies I did. Thanks. Questions? Uh, how about in the back? Uh, yes, right there, in the black. I got here late. Yeah. The Joan Collins story. She was in. Uh, what was? What movie was she in? Empire of the Ants. Empire of the Ants. Working with Joan Collins in Empire of the Ants. Well, in the beginning, it was a little tricky. You know, she was Joan Collins. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, we went on location, and and she finally ended up being a sweetheart. And, uh, wasn't there, wasn't there a scene where you, you, you wanted to get her into the water and there was, she didn't want to go in the water and you kind of encouraged her to get oh, yeah. out? Yeah. What, what was that? Tell that story. Okay. The scene in, that, in the movie, in that particular film, uh, called for Joan Collins to fall into the water with alligators. And... Um, from the boat that were escaping from this island. And um, Joan came to me when we were on, the, we were on the, this boat with the camera, the cameras and everything fine. 
She said, I, I've got news for you, Bert. I said, oh yes, Joan, what is that? She said, I'm not going in the water. See those alligators? They don't like me. <laughs> so I said, Joan, why didn't you tell me that? That's a, we've got a double or something. It's the movie. <laughs> I'm sorry, Bert. All right, well, just look at the alligators. So I left her. I went over to the cameraman. And I said, um, when you see me nod my head, start rolling. I'm not going to say verbally, rolling, action, nothing. I'm not going to say anything. All I'm going to be is make the movement with my head like that, and you start rolling. So I went back behind Joan, and the, uh, she's watching the alligators, live alligators. See, now she, the alligators are not going to bother her because I had grips in black sweatsuits that they were hiding, uh, hiding, you know, they would be diving, and then it would be safe for her. So I w went back behind Joan, and uh, I said, well, the alligators were just about right. Like that. <laughs> he started rolling. And I push. <laughs> and you got the shot. Yeah. Now here's another nice things about it. Once she got in the water, she was the actress. She didn't say, "Oh, I want to get out." Or not at all. She was the actress, Joan College, reacting to live alligators and so on. It's great. <laughs> um, any memories of working with Orson Welles in Necromancy? Orson Welles. Yeah. Okay. With Orson Welles, um, he's not at the very, very beginning of the movie, of shooting of the movie. And um, uh, I, uh, his secretary called my secretary the day before he was going to appear on, on the set, and then we were going to go on location. And the message was to tell Mr. Gordon that he that uh, Orson Welles doesn't uh, appear uh, and before 10 o'clock, and, and he's off shooting at four. <laughs> but that, I mean, that's horrible because you know, when you're shooting a movie, sometimes you say, okay, we're going to be shooting till five o'clock, and you might go into nighttime, over in the middle of the night, just keep shooting, if you have to get something at a certain location. So I got that, that message, and I said, oh, bad. Okay. <laughs> so the next day, we're on this location up in the hills of California, Los Angeles, and the next day, uh, Orson Welles, I'm shooting on the set, you know, nothing to do with him, and uh, he, he is brought to the, uh, you know, location, and when he, he's led to the room that he will be sleeping and staying with and so on, it's a beautiful overlooking the uh, patio. He, he, Got out, got in, went to his room, went out on the patio, and there in the, on the patio was a refrigerator 
opened with all his perfect foods, delicious foods. Everything he loved was in that refrigerator. Next to the refrigerator was a barbecue with a man, location. Yes, Mr. Wells, whatever you'd like is your command. Okay? I'm on the set shooting the movie, as I said before, in a big, huge mansion, living room. And the, the shoot, so there's an action scene, and I'm watching. And then I look over there, and there's Orson Welles coming to the doorway quietly and standing there. And, okay, cut, beautiful, printed. Orson came over to me and he said, Mr. Gordon, do I call you Bert? And I said, of course, of course, call me Bert. He said, uh, you received something from my um, secretary? I said, yes, disregard it, you're all mine. <laughs> and we went on location, Northern California, and um, we were like that. No matter what, he would work, would work night and day, but perfect. And that, that's source of Great. That's great. You, sometimes you, you hear about a certain director, I'm not going to mention the name, that you know, had a reputation for treating actors uh, very poorly. In fact, one movie, the legend goes that the actors were staying at some hotel without running water. They had to get washed at the service station. But you took care of your actors. You definitely took care of your actors on your movies, it sounds like. You took care of, you took good care of your actors. Yeah. Okay, questions? Yeah, some of you, a lot of your movies appear on the show called Mystery Science Theater 3000, where they, they kind of make parodies. What do you think of your movies appearing on Mystery Science Theater 3000? Well, more of my, more of my films appeared on that program than any other. You are Pardon? We greatly enjoy them. Yes, we do. We greatly enjoy your movies. Definitely. Okay. Uh, how about, yeah, on the aisle right there. Yep. Thank you for everything that you've done for the entire theater and movie industry. Um, you've done everything from Hollywood to Hollywood. Thank you for everything that you've done for the entire theater and movie industry. You have to have one heartthrob of all the actresses that you've worked with. Okay, of all the actresses that you've worked with, what did you ever have a, like a particular favorite, a heart, a heart throb, uh, a heart throb, or somebody who you really, really like enjoyed among actresses, who you might have had some affection for among the actresses uh, that you've worked with? Someone who really like, you know, you were really enamored with? <laughs> yes, yes, among the actresses that you've worked with. Yes. <laughs> We need some details. <laughs> Just about all of them. <laughs> really. <laughs> when I started making a film, a particular film, I just loved everybody. I, I, night, day. It was in my blood to make to make movies, and I just 
loved it, loved it, loved it. Estelle um, Winwood, I remember, I can see her now and it's in a particular scene. They, they all were just giving their everything, giving them, it just was, I, I honestly can't believe, can't think of any time when an actor just appeared on the set, uh, yeah, oh yeah, I'm standing over here, yeah, yeah, no. They all were really into it, loved it, loved making movies. That's great, that's great. Uh, questions? Uh, let's see, how about this side, right over here, yep. Most difficult animal or insect you've ever worked with. Okay, most oh, difficult animal or insect that you've worked with. There's been so many. <laughs> well, yeah, there are so many and so on. But here is an interesting situation with some of the animals that I work with. The um, uh, giant uh, grasshoppers. Uh, giant, grass, giant, giant grasshoppers appear in the movies attacking our actors and all that and so on. So we shot the regular actor movie and now it was time to shoot the grasshoppers. So I um, found uh, a certain species of grasshopper in, in, in a newspaper in, in Texas. So I um, decided, well, that's it, that's, that's the grasshopper that has the look of um, that my movie should have. So, um, I, um, uh, uh, so I contacted California, uh, whatever the department is, and they said, I'm going to bring these ants into California. He said, uh, well, here's what uh, the situation is. You can bring them into California, but we have to examine each one at the airport to be sure it's because <laughs> they didn't want them populating. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, fine. I'm going to bring them in. Oh, bring them in. They're at the airport. They examine them all, all right. And then I notify Los Angeles that I'm going to set up a, a studio uh, to shoot this movie. Um, uh, you know, uh, like a warehouse. I'm going to need like a warehouse to uh, shoot, um, to set up, to, to train, quote unquote, these grasshoppers. They said, well, you're not going to do it in Los Angeles. Won't permit it. The Valley said, you can, you can do that here, okay? So I uh, rented a, a warehouse and we started to train grasshoppers. And, um, okay, so we, uh, we had a, there was a scene in the movie where the grasshoppers are charging down the, um, uh, chasing our, our actors all the time. So we uh, built a structure and put artificial grass and put all the grasshoppers up there. And then we um, put gra uh, food that they like. And then we, I would say, action, 
and then they would raise the blind, my people working, you know, with it, and the grasshoppers would come up a little further, and gradually, as they understood that the food was down there, they were perfect. They would just action. Great. Okay, tomorrow we start shooting it. So the next day, put the grasshoppers in there. Okay. Okay. Action. Roll the camera. Action. They raised the the, um, the gate. They wouldn't come out. <laughs> they wouldn't come out. I trained them. We worked for days and days and days. And they, they wouldn't come out. See what you know what this scene's going to be done, and then I'll, I'll mat it together, together with a, a scene of the big people, and it'll be perfect. But they wouldn't come out. So after half a day of trying, screwing up, okay, everybody go home today. So I went home. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking, what the hell, what the hell, what the hell? And then an idea came to me. The next day, put the grasshoppers in there, everything ready, roll the camera. This is, this is not with people, not, not with anything at all. Just rolling the thing, and they would, and put a little, a little cheese in front of it. In other words, we went through the whole training process, this time using the camera noise. No, no film in the camera, nothing. Cheese there, a little more cheese. And finally, after retraining them with the sound of the camera, Got beautiful stuff. <laughs> and that's it. And that's what's called determination. That's great. Uh, questions, right here. How did the sequel to Colossal Man come about? Was it your idea or the studio's idea? The sequel to Colossal Man, how did that come about? Was that your idea? Was it the studio's idea? No, most of it was my idea. Okay, and let's see, uh, young man right over here. Ah, when, when you were talking about the grasshoppers and the cheese, do you remember what type of cheese? It had large smell. Yeah, it was a smelly cheese. <laughs> okay, uh, right over here, sure. I thought Theater of the Gods was one of the best movies that you ever filmed, the visual effects are fantastic. And I always wondered, how did you make that effect of the rats being shot by guns? Was that jelly, or what was that? In Food of the Gods, the effect of shooting the rats with the guns, how did you make that effect? That was one of my favorite movies. I liked making that movie. Uh, the, after we shot with the people, then we um, had miniature sets for the um, for the rats. We shot them with with uh, 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 guns that shot 
uh, Shelly didn't kill him, but knocked him over. <laughs> and right in the beginning, after we after we finished filming the grown-up, the live actors, and we we're going to get set now to shoot, shoot the miniature, the, the rats. Um, the actor said, "Can I ask a favor?" And I said, sure. Can I do the shooting? <laughs> yeah. So he, he did the, all the pellet shooting. All right, we have time for maybe one more question. How about right over here? Yes, sir. you, sir. Um, was there any particular location in California that you liked the most and keep using over and over again? Any favorite location that you liked the most in California that you might have used over and over again in your movie? Is your favorite location? In Northern California, but I can't remember the name of it, is where we went with Orson Welles and, and everybody was beautiful, but I don't remember the name of it. But um, uh, there are so many nice things about different locations. That, I was alive. I'm telling you something. Making movies was like an like a injection. Okay. In fact, I was gonna. I'm gonna wrap it up with one really quick question. I just wanted to ask if you know if there are any filmmakers in the audience. What advice would you give to a young filmmaker today? To somebody who just wants to make movies? What advice would you give to a young filmmaker? What advice would I give? Yes. Hold the mic up. Don't let anything stop you. Just keep going. Uh, in one way or another, you'll be able to get in. But it, it isn't easy. It is not easy. And um, but you can do it if you really have the talent. If you look into as I in the book I wrote. If you look in, one day if you look in the mirror, see what happened is before I moved to Hollywood I was making commercial films in Minneapolis. And so I said in the book, if you look in the mirror someday and it says, you're not making movies, movies are made in Hollywood, and that happens to you, go to Hollywood. There you go. Bert, it is a pleasure to have you here at Monster Bash. Let's hear it for Gordon. More frightening than the war of the worlds. More prophetic than things to come. More imaginative than the time machine. Now. H.G. Wells' masterpiece of science fiction, The Food of the Gods, the terrifying tale of man fighting for his life against an ecology gone berserk. Marjo Gortner, Pamela Franklin, the last chance an unsuspecting world has against harmless animals and insects made huge and vicious by The Food of the Gods, hunting humans in packs. 
preying on their flesh. The food of the gods. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. The food of the gods. For a taste of hell. I am Sir George, possessor of the magic sword. By its powers, I will lead you on the seven great adventures, each one mightier than the other. Together we will go where no man has ever gone, into the land of terror itself, where the Superman of evil is king. Let no man face my seven curses and reach the dragon's lair. Together we will dare the demons of the green flame. See the white hot face of the fiery rock. Enter the mammoth cave that closes behind you, where humans are trapped and tombed. Brave the volcanic inferno of the boiling crater. See the miracle of the magic sword. Battle the gigantic ogre. Gaze into the magic pool. See the enchanted beauty, enslaved by the master of the black arts. Meet Sybil, the weirdest witch who ever brewed up a cauldron of spells. I wonder what Sybil's cooking up. Witches of Hecate, black oven black, demons of shame, flesh on the rack. See the attempted rescue from the sorcerer's castle. See the terrors of the dungeon torture chamber. See the terrifying fate of the shrunken people cast under an evil spell by Lodak, greatest magician of them all. See the two-headed dragon of Lodak that no mortal ever faced and lived. Thrilled to the hilt by the magic sword, none like it since the world began. A 2,000-year-old legend Hollywood waited until now to tell. The magic sword. Hi, this is Jeff Owens from the Classic Horrors Club. And I'm Richard Chamberlain from kccinephile.com and monstermoviekid.wordpress.com. We'd like to invite you to attend the next monthly meeting of the Classic Horrors Club on the Phantom Podcast Network. We think you'll enjoy our show, but don't take our word for it. Let's ask some of our listeners what they think. Excuse me, sir. What did you say after listening to the Classic Horrors Club podcast? I'll never smile again. Wow, that's a little mean. How about you, sir? Would you recommend the Classic Horrors Club podcast? It would be very dangerous, not only for you, but for others. Well, we do talk about classic horror, from silent screen to Halloween and everything scary in between, but I don't think I'd call it dangerous. I think that's enough from our listeners. I've always said we have the, uh, best fans? Why don't you give us a try yourselves? We meet once a month during the Classic Horror Club podcast on the Phantom Podcast Network, found at downrightcreepy.com or at classichorrors.club. Oh, wait, here's one more listener walking his pet. 
What do you think of the Classic Horrors Club podcast? There's the stink of hell on this train. Even the dog knows it. a shot so we just got done with the Bert I Gordon Q&A and it sounds like the recording turned out all right so you'll be hearing that well actually you probably already heard it here on the show I am sitting across from Scott Morris who you heard earlier but we haven't had this guy on yet who, who, who are you sir I'm Christopher Page host of Warfare Entertainment and in Time Shifters podcast I've been a guest on Monster Kid twice very happy to say you having fun so far well, I only walked in the door, like, literally as Bird Eye Gordon was coming to the stage. So I haven't been here that long yet. But, yeah, uh, I enjoyed the Bird Eye Gordon. It was really interesting hearing him talk about his, uh, his movie making and uh, the actors he's worked with. So it was really cool. I like the Joan Collins story. The Joan Collins story was pretty funny. I, <laughs> I, I, I wonder if, you know, he, he claimed that she was really the actress and did her, her part. But I, I wonder how much of that was really her just panicking in a pool of alligators. <laughs> I want to know what he, what she said to him after he yelled cut. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think there's more to that story that we don't hear. <laughs> it's probably a follow-up that he doesn't like to tell. Exactly. So we're just killing some time, and I've got the infamous Classic 5 deck here. And it's a slightly different deck. Uh, I've got some new questions in there. Uh, it's a combination of the old questions, some of the newer stuff. New printing, it's a prototype. Uh, hopefully, sometime this year, we'll actually have a real, honest to goodness, you can go online and buy this thing. But for now, the only place you can hear about it or do it is here at Monster Bash. It's gotten Chris just got roped into it. So, we're going to play the Classic Five. You guys ready? Yes. Ready, yeah. All right, yeah. I'm going to set this down. Wait, what? No, okay. I'm going to set this down. Hopefully, you guys can hear us. Card number one. What's your favorite Bela Lugosi? Lugosi. <laughs> I'm still catching up on sleep, man. Was that when he he worked in France? Yes. <laughs> your favorite Bela Lugosi? The guy did it again. <laughs> Bela Lugosi roll. <laughs> Scott, your first. The black hat. Quat. I'm trying to talk like you. I can't do I think, it. What is it, a Bela impersonation? <laughs> no, I'm trying to talk like you and make it sound French. <laughs> the black cat. Okay. I I would probably go... I was just thinking, like, well, I, I, yeah, I, I'm going to go with his uh, his Dracula and Ebon Costello and the Frankenstein. Oh, I, I think that was a real fun one because, I mean, he kind of plays it up a little. I mean, it is a comedy, but he doesn't play it as a comedy. I, I enjoyed him in that. It was kind of like Dracula refined, I guess. What I like about that one is you've got the Dracula, but then you also get another role that he was very famous for, the mad scientist stuff, kind of worked into this Yeah, sure. So he gets to mix that up. I, I, but of the two that you've mentioned, I think I prefer the black cat because he's the hero. Yes, that's something you don't normally see him play, mm-hmm. is a hero. Yeah. I, I, I also, and one of the things I like about it, he's not playing the back row in Black Cat as he is in some of his earlier films. Yeah, or later. <laughs> or later films, yeah. true. Yeah. All right, card number two. Let's start with Christopher. What prop from a classic monster movie would you like to own? From a fa- from a monster movie? Yes. A classic monster movie. That's the problem with this. You have to think fast on your feet. Uh, yeah. 
Oh, I, I tell you what, just about anything from the old Frankenstein lab. Oh, yeah. I mean, honestly, anything. Yeah. <laughs> I want uh, one of Harryhausen's ships from uh, Earth versus the Flying Saucers. Ooh, interesting choice. Mike, oh, I didn't even think about Harryhausen stuff. Oh, my God, yeah. I've told Brenda, and I don't know if she'll actually go for it, but if I ever get to a point to where I need to use a cane, you know I want the wolf man. The wolf head. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I gotta have the wolf head. I, you know, it's just, it, yeah. <laughs> number three, back to Scott. What Boris Karloff role could or should have been played by Bela Lugosi? Lugosi. <laughs> well, what we just mentioned the black cat. If we're gonna have uh, Lugosi always playing the bad guys, he sh- they should have switched roles. But I'm glad they didn't. Yeah. You, you said should. Should or could have, yeah. But they could have easily switched roles in that film. Okay. What about you, man? I'd be curious to see um, see him do something. Something uh, Karloff did in his later years, The the Terror, uh, one of Roger Corman's early uh, films. I'd like to see Lugosi maybe in The Terror instead of Karloff. Wow. Just, just because. I think it's just... To, the, to be the, uh, you know, kind of the, the Ritz eccentric uh, guy in the castle with ulterior motives, um, which maybe he's done in other roles or whatever, but I, don't, I just think it would have been a, an, an interesting thing to see. You, now that you say that, another one pops to mind, but I'm, I'm blanking on the title. It's the one where, Bell, or where uh, Karloff is playing an older actor that had done these type of movies. Targets. I would like to have seen Bela Lugosi being an older actor, reflecting on his days as monster, and but then this whole Targets story going on. Um, you know, see what he would have been in that. I'm, I'm going to pick that as mine. That's, that's good. That's good. I think Scott's better at this game than I am. Ah, there's no winners, no wrong answers. All right, we're right across from the the poster room. This card's appropriate. What's your favorite classic monster movie poster? I, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I honestly don't know. I haven't seen all that many really great classic monster posters. Um, I love some of the old. I mean, I'm a big God, I'm a Godzilla fan, so some of the the old Godzilla uh, movie posters would be would be awesome. To have oh, I tell you what, one probably I think would be really neat to have would be Godzilla versus the Thing. Yeah. Against Mothra, when it's just the thing, you don't see the the, the terrifying the beast. Yeah, I think that's especially when we when you get to the you, know, you get to the theater and you finally see the thing and you go, wait, it's a butterfly? What the? You know? <laughs> I, I think what that poster sells versus what you get in the movie, I think that just makes that poster that much cooler. One of the things that I've always liked on posters is when they have the different, um, you know, if you survive this, uh, or if you die during this, you can get a, a free casket like in uh, <laughs> The Screaming Skull. Right. But um, the one we just, I don't know if, if it's played yet or not. It hasn't. It has not played yet. Uh, Derek and I covered um, It the Terror from Beyond Space. And it's got that, the $50,000 guarantee, if you can prove that this is not happening right now. <laughs> Just, you know, that showmanship added to the, the poster, plus the, the, the version of uh, it that you see in there with his arms up in the air. It's just a great poster. So, what was the poster we just saw in there? Is it Bride of the Gorilla? 
Bride of the Grill was one we saw. The marriage vows will be more than fulfilled. Yes. Oh, I love things like that. <laughs> oh, oh. But I think my favorite, though, is, is one that I actually have at home. No, actually, no, I don't. I wanted to get it, but it's sold out. It's from Italy, I believe, and it's like a half sheet from King Kong Escapes. But it's this weird-looking King Kong that looks like Bigfoot. And then behind him is, I think it's Mechagodzilla and, like, one of the camera monsters. And it's just really weird, this weird mix of, of monsters that have no business being together whatsoever. But I love it. More than fulfilled. <laughs> oh. uh, favorite mad scientist. Who are we on? Are we back to you? Uh, Dr. Clayton Forrester. <laughs> He's not wrong. I mean, really, it's a that's a hard choice to beat. Uh, really, yeah. Um, a favorite mad scientist. Oh, you know what Matt says? I think was fun. I went. I don't know if favorite is really the word I use, but fun with maybe the mad scientist and uh, Jesse James meets uh, Frankenstein's daughter. <laughs> Just for the accent alone, you know, that, yes. that she throws around. That's a good one. Oh, boy. Um, I mean, I like my Dr. Frankenstein. I like my my Cushing Dr. Frankenstein, but I'm going to go back to Lugosi or Lugosi again. <laughs> Man, I'm going to have to Photoshop posters where that's where it says now. Bela Lugosi. Um, the Devil Bat. Mm. I, I love him as Dr. Carruthers. In that. Um, just the creepy goodbye as he leaves the scene as he knows that he just set you up to be killed by the double bat. Just, that's my favorite. Oh, it's a classic five. It's pretty fake. Yay! Yay! had some sound effects or something. <laughs> what, 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 what I think is that I'm not as good at this as, uh, as I probably should be. I, I, when, I, when I hear that people play this game and they have the answers and, you, and I play it and I try to come up with the answers, I realize how much of my monster movie uh, uh, how many gaps there are, I guess, in my uh, in my fandom. This is how it was to be in uh, Planet of the Apes. Yeah, yeah. Every, I guess everyone has their gaps, and it, honestly, it's some of these uh, some of these older films that I'm really still kind of catching up on. I guess I've watched a lot of the movies over and over. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of watching one I've never seen, I go, Yeah, but I re- I'm really in the mood for this one. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I think this game is one of its strong points, especially if you play it in a group of people, is you're going to get exposed to movies that you may not have thought of before. And I think that's a very strong point for this game. Yeah, definitely. I'm actually racking my brain trying to think if maybe I've not seen The Black Cat. Oh. I've seen it. Highly recommended. Yeah, very, so very good. 34, isn't it? I believe so. I bet you I've got a copy or two or three laying around in some in box sets or something. Yeah, it so. turns up in a lot of the... Uh, the Lugosi box sets, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Not so much the Karloff. No, no, the Lugosi ones. The Lugosi <laughs> ones. I'm wondering, though, if I have it in one of my, uh, like, uh, what is it? Not, uh, oh, Mill Creek. One of the big so. Mill Creek. It's, it's universal, but it's universal, and I don't think they let their stuff go into public domain. Well, they're not even necessarily public domain. Sometimes they're just... Oh, that's true. They're just cheap. Yeah. Yeah, that was... Uh, Black Cat was one I actually saw first at a Monster Bash. Oh, nice. It's a good film. Yep. It's a really good film. To bring it back to Monster Bash. There you go. Warning. Godzilla vs. The Thing. A shattering motion picture, not for the weak of heart. Here in all its astounding realism is a soul-shocking experience. 
How much terror can you stand? What was this thing of unbelievable and unequaled terror that challenged Godzilla to a battle of unhuman strength versus supernatural evil? Godzilla versus the thing. See the war of the giants. See the birth of the world's most terrifying monster. See armies of the world destroyed by the thing. The producers of Godzilla vs. The Thing issue warning to those who cannot take its full horror. To you with guts, you must see Godzilla vs. The Thing from the beginning in color scope from American International. From the creative genius of Roger Corman, who brought to the screen Edgar Allan Poe's most shocking horror tales, comes the ultimate in blood-chilling screen experiences. The Terror, starring the incomparable Boris Karloff. You think I'm mad, don't you? In the role he was born to play, The Terror, bedeviled by his own mad, all-consuming passions. With my own hands, I killed him. The Terror, his evil, mystic powers go beyond man's wildest imaginings. If he resists, kill him. American International presents The Terror. Starring Boris Karloff, Dean of All Horror Demons, in this, his most demanding terrorization, The Terror, a film group production in color investoscope. We let things pile up in the DVR, we add them to our queues, we wait for the DVDs and Blu-rays, we time shift. The Time Shifters Podcast. Sci-fi, horror, fantasy, superheroes, comedy, action, film, television, maybe some not-so-current events. Find us on iTunes or at timeshifterspodcast.com. I hope you've enjoyed the coverage from Monster Bash so far. I've had a blast revisiting some of the audio here and getting it ready to put out on the show. Big thanks to everybody who has been involved in the show this week. I'm talking about Christopher Page, Jeff Owens, Rich Chamberlain, Scott Morris, and the next guy you're about to hear is Dwight Kemper. I sat down with him for a quick interview there at the Bash. So why don't we roll into that right now? I'm actually behind a vendor's table. This is the first time I've gotten behind a vendor's table at this bash, not because I'm taking over and I want to work a table for somebody, but because I'm sitting with my friend Dwight Kemper, who is a vendor here. He's been a guest on the show. He's a friend of mine. He's an incredible author. How are you doing, sir? I am doing well by my books. (laughs) I have a feeling every question I ask him is going to be ended with by my books. Is that right? Yes, by my books. (laughs) What books are you selling? (laughs) I am selling at this convention my first novel, Who Framed Boris Karloff, and my latest novel, The Vampire's Tomb Mystery, both the Midnight Marquee Edition and also the Circle of Spears Audiobook Edition, which you should definitely either buy or download at circleofspearsproductions.com, I believe it is. Do it web, web search my name, you'll find all the links and everything. <laughs> And I'm also selling a couple of movies that I'm in, uh, Evan Straw and uh, Monochromia. In Evan Straw, I play Mr. Halsey, the handyman. And in uh, Monochromia, I play uh, Dr. Sans Soul, who invents a gas that renders the entire world colorblind. I'd be like on an even playing field then, since I'm colorblind. It, it sounds like that's something I need to look into. That's right, but there's, a, there's supposed to be these eye drops that will give people the ability to see color again and a, 
And a billionaire wants to buy it so that he can be the only person left in the world who can see color, as billionaires tend to want to do. <laughs> Is this the first time? You've done Monster Bash before, right? Well, not as a, uh, not as a vendor. I've been here as a guest, uh, you know, one of the VIP people, uh, just to, you know, get autographs and drink and carouse and drink and get autographs and carouse and <laughs> and have Saturday morning cereal watching cartoons. <laughs> Did you do that this year, the cartoons? I came in on the last one, which was a, which was a Daffy Duck cartoon, which was a takeoff of uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And yes, that's how you pronounce it. It's Jekyll. It's not Jekyll. Jekyll is a magpie. Dr. Jekyll is the creature in Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. That is how Robert Louis Stevenson said it, so that's how you should say it too. And by the way, it's hanged, not hung. <laughs> so, so you're a big Dr. Jekyll fan is what you're saying? <laughs> the look he's giving me is perfect for podcasting, I'm sure. No, so you got to see the cartoons. Uh, is there anything that you are just dying to make sure you do, other than selling your books, before the end of the con? Oh, gosh. Well, I've made a lot of friends. I uh, sort of reconnected with Penny Dreadful. We've been, we've been friends for a while. She and uh, her now uh, lamentedly late husband Magoo, and I, we were all three of us were very good friends, and it's sort of quite not the same without him. So wherever you are, Magoo... You are missed. And I got to become friends with Joe Morrow, who is in one of my favorite uh, William Castle movies, 13 Ghosts. So that was a lot of fun. She told a really nice story about uh, William Castle. I don't know if I should relate it to you or let her relate it to you. I'm going to try to get it for you. Okay. So basically, ask her how William Castle felt about an actor who wanted motivation to go to one part of the set okay. <laughs> and be sure to ask because it's, it's a funny funny story and honestly I have done the bash for so many years that it, I'm kind of hard pressed I wanted to go to the spook show last night but I was exhausted and the <laughs> spook show was at one o'clock in the morning and I don't know who would have been more dead the ghosts or me so it was just like Pew! In fact, the last thing that I remember, I went back to my uh, room. I'm not at this hotel. I'm actually at another hotel, which apparently was the only hotel with a room available, which is why I'm spending such a huge amount of money to stay there. And apparently everybody else is incredibly affluent. Uh, to the point that every time I say anything to either the wait staff or to the front desk people and I use expressions like, excuse me, please, and thank you, they are... Shocked, surprised, and happy. Because <laughs> I'm not demanding anything from them. I've done a couple of live broadcasts on my phone about things that are going on here. Uh, I met up with the, uh, the director of the sequel to Tales of Dracula, a, a, a film that I wrote. Oh, dear. You talked to Joshua Kennedy, who, who's also a friend of the show, a friend of mine. What, what do you think about working with him? Oh, it should be fun. He seems to have a nice sense of humor, and uh, I think I think he'll do well. He, he and I have agreed that I'm basically going to be the Lionel Atwell of this series, where basically I, 
I play a different person in each film, but it, they all look like Lionel Atwell, so I'm going to be playing a different person in each film, and they're all going to look like Dwight Kemper. And it's, yeah. <laughs> I have a theory that basically Dr. Frankenstein experimented with cloning at one point, and, <laughs> and all of these people are experiments of Dr. Frankenstein that were actually quite successful, and one became a mayor, and one became a police officer. <laughs> And really, when you stop to think about it, and I didn't even mention it in the podcast that we're going to be doing together with Son of Frankenstein, but there's something that always bothered me, and that is Inspector Krogh's story that when he was the age of the little boy in Son of Frankenstein and had his arm torn off, why didn't he die? I mean, according to him, his father was thrown into a, against a corner. The monster was the only one there. He had his arm ripped out. That kind of assault on a little boy's body he would have bled out who took him to the doctor who got who fixed him up i mean you just it it makes no sense but i mean according it sounded like he didn't have a mother there so i'm just I, i'm just curious as to the in, in which you see i have the theory that once he saw what he did, the monster just sort of staunched the bleeding, ran to the Dr. Frankenstein, fix, and, <laughs> and then took off for the hills. <laughs> That's the only explanation I have, because otherwise, because if, if you had taken him to Dr. Frankenstein, you probably could have reattached the arm, too, but, but the monster wasn't that clever at that time. Just, fix! <laughs> well, I'm eager to see how Tales of Dracula 2 turns out. I think there's a lot of really good seeds there uh, in, the, in the first film that could be grow, you know, developed into something amazing. Are there any teasers you can give? I, I know we're really early in pre-production on it, but is there anything you can tell us about it? Okay. They introduce a cross in that long, boring scene, which was one of the things I also turned to Joe, is that you didn't even use the cross and you spent like 20 minutes explaining what this thing is. So we use it in this movie. Okay. Because you spent all of this time talking about this great cross and what it could possibly do and everything else, and it doesn't show up again in the film. It's like, if you have, it's, it's an old writing thing. If you have a shotgun behind a door, you better shoot it in chapter five. <laughs> so, yes, it, it, that cross actually comes in, very important uh, plot point in uh, the upcoming film. And I don't know if we still have this young lady, but when we originally cast it, I created this gypsy girl who was a knife thrower and a dancer and uh, also a, a markswoman. And we actually got this Russian girl who is a knife thrower and a dancer and also races sports cars. So she was this triple threat who could really do the things that I wrote and I actually suggested edits to fake these things, but she could actually do them. And I hope they still have her. Uh, at the time, she she had pulled a Barbara Eden on production and she was pregnant after she was hired to do, to do this. So we were going to, so originally we had to wait for her to have the baby and, and everything. I actually suggested, well, she is a gypsy, we could hide it with veils, <laughs> you know, like they did with Barbara Eden with all the, you know, drapery that they had. But, um, but I hope we still have her because she was just perfect and she was also shorter than me, which would be very helpful because in, in the original script, in the original script, the character I described was like 6'2 and burly and I'm 5'4 and not burly. 
I'm, I'm muscular, but uh, it doesn't quite translate the same. So either we're going to do a lot of low angle shots and me standing on orange crates, or they're going to hire this girl who's actually shorter than me. Because it's really a good thing the guy that I was actually thinking of to play this part uh, would have been too tall for her. So there would have been a, a very vast, it would be like Rocky and Bullwinkle. <laughs> Speaking of which, there's a line I want to put in the movie because she has this accent that makes her sound like Natasha. Oh, no. And I want to do a line where they're around the campfire and, and uh, Creighton Reed says to her, this is good stew, what's it made with? Moose and squirrel. <laughs> I love it, I love it. I'll keep an eye out for that as well as Chekhov's cross, apparently, <laughs> Tales of Dracula too. Good luck selling the books, man. Well, thank you very much. As you noticed, we didn't have to edit out anything as I was selling things, because people keep passing by the table. <laughs> so is there anything you'd like to say to everybody before we sign off? Buy my books. You can find out about Dwight at MurderMysteryTheater.com. You can go to CircleOfSpears.com to buy the CD audiobook version of The Vampire's Two Mystery. Or you can pick up The Vampire's Two Mystery from Midnight Marquee at Midmar.com. You can also find some of Dwight's books on Amazon. And you're going to find Dwight again on a future episode of Monster Kid Radio. He mentioned it earlier that, yeah, he and I did sit down for a recording of Son of Frankenstein. That will be happening here down the line. And then he also mentioned... The William Castle story, I'm supposed to ask Joe Morrow? Well, I did. And you're going to hear that when I play the interview I did with Joe in a future episode of Monster Kid Radio. Wowee! Do you have trouble seeing ghosts? Of course you do. Unless you have these special ghost viewers. Get them at the theater, please, so you can see the ghosts in the new movie 13 Ghosts. My name's Charlie Herbert. I'm not a ghost, but I do appear in this picture. That's telling them, Charlie. The new ghost viewer is the big new movie thrill you kids and your family will really scream at when you see 13 ghosts come to life in color. The fire ghost. The ghost lion. The monster ghost. And all the others you'll see through the ghost viewer giving you at the theater. 13 ghosts. See 13 ghosts. A wonderful movie for the whole family. What's that noise? I don't know. Spiders. I told them to bring me one and I'd believe it. Oh, I can't say I blame you, Sheriff. But Flynn's still missing. Deep into caverns whose very air is putrefied by the stench of death. <laughs> They search ceaselessly for a missing man, or possibly a giant spider no one really believes exists, except the high school teacher who knows his science and his students. There will be more giant spiders coming into the world. They may even be hatching from their eggs in some remote spot right now. Do you realize how easy it would be for them to overcome us humans? A horrifying spectacle. Its existence shocks and fascinates the world of science. Its gigantic claws capable of crushing a man. Or tearing a woman apart as if she were a fly. But nothing sends the cats like the presence of out-of-this-world horror. 
heart-stopping experience that defies man's imagination, that shrinks every woman's skin with the tension of terrifying withdrawal, as if a thousand spiders were taking possession of her body. You'll never believe it until you see it. You'll never forget the touch of the spider. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode of Monster Kid Radio. Well, actually, not really, because I have some feedback I'm going to go over. This comes from a new listener by the name of Ron. Ron, hi, Derek. I'm a somewhat new listener and have been enjoying the show. I'm really happy I found your podcast. I wanted to throw in my two cents about The Mummy. I read so many bad reviews for the movie that I had really low expectations and was expecting a real turkey. Let's say the movie was a lot better than what I was expecting. I found it an entertaining popcorn flick with some really good action sequences, but it would have greatly benefited from a tighter narrative. The movie is not an impressive start to the Dark Universe. Speaking of the Dark Universe, Dracula Untold was supposed to kick off the Dark Universe back in 2014, but Universal pretty much disowned it after it was critically panned. I think that was a real shame. I loved Luke Evans as Dracula and really liked the origin story. I also think it is overall a better movie than The Mummy. Well, since the reception for The Mummy is worse than Dracula Untold, I wonder if Universal is also going to back away from this film, too, and position The Bride of Frankenstein as the quote-unquote real start of the Dark Universe. I think Universal needs to dump the executives making these decisions and hire some real monster kids as film advisors. Problem solved. Anyway, keep up the good work. Talk to you later. Ron. Ron, I haven't really considered which movie I liked better, The Mummy or Dracula Untold. I do like the idea of giving Dracula a little bit more background and tying it into the Vlad the Impaler stuff. I mean, it makes sense. I mean, that's kind of what we expect at this point. I still have a problem with the Fist of Bats. I, I just That really bugs me for some reason or other. Plus, making Dracula the hero, making him sympathetic, somebody that we root for, it just seems to go against the Bela Lugosi portrayal or John Carradine or Christopher Lee portrayal of Dracula, but uh, I don't know. I'd have to go back and look. I will say this. The music from Dracula Untold is head and shoulders above the music from The Mummy. Uh, who did the music for The Mummy? Brian Tyler, right? Well, the guy who did the music for Dracula Untold was Ramin Juwadi, whose name I probably slightly mispronounced. But he's also the guy who did the music for the Fright Night remake, which was the best part of that film, as well as most of the music, if not all of the music, from the Game of Thrones TV series uh, from HBO. Ramin just does incredible work. I'm a big fan of what he does. And what he did with Dracula Untold is pretty darn solid. He also did Pacific Rim. He did the TV series Person of Interest. You know, I could just go on about some of the other things that he had done because I am such a fan. A lot of times the music that he does is the best part of the film, like the Clash of the Titans remake in 2010. But he also did the first Iron Man film, the first entry into the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. He also is responsible for the music from Westworld, which my wife and I adored. Very rarely, very rarely do I like to have modern music or contemporary music worked into a score. I'm just not a big fan of that. I want the music to stand alone and be its own thing and not bring all this other quote-unquote baggage. But the way he brings in the Rolling Stones song into the score from the first episode of Westworld, the name of which I'm drawing a blank on, it's really really cool and really good and really gets my juices going thank you for writing and ron we also have an email from dominique lamsey's who is going to be on a future episode of monster kid radio we're going to be talking about the movie the phantom of the opera from universal in the future this is from dominique hi derek since i was a little late to the party for 1951 down place i'm going to gush here i'm so glad down place will continue when i saw there was an announcement about it i feared the worst but i very much look forward to hearing more from you and scott though i will miss casey at the very least, you guys haven't done all the Ingrid Pitt Hammer films yet. 
I completely agree about Scott's hilarious intros. I always look forward to them and would totally buy a Drax Delicatessen shirt. And I want to say to Scott, when it comes to Captain Kronos, know that you are not alone. The film I saw immediately after Captain Kronos was Brides of Dracula. And if it hadn't been for that, I would not be a Hammer fan. God only knows what would have become of me then. <laughs> Keep up the good work on Monster Kid Radio and 1951 Down Place, guys. I look forward to the network. All right, Dominique. You know, Scott and I were talking at Monster Batch, actually, and, and he thinks he's going to give Captain Kronos another shot just to see if, as he's watched more Hammer films, and, well, I'm not going to speak for him, but it's something that he's considering doing. And like I said in the episode where I had Scott on and we were talking about Down Place, I feel like maybe I did him a disservice by overselling or overhyping Captain Kronos. I think if it was my first Hammer film, I wouldn't be as much of a Hammer fan now, or at least my journey would have been different to get to this point because it is a little atypical. It's not exactly the Dracula formula or the Frankenstein type film. So I hear what you're saying. I think it's interesting though, that brides of Dracula was the follow up, and that's what gotcha. I love brides of Dracula. I know a lot of people don't, but for my money, it's got Cushing as Van Helsing. And I love his Van Helsing. It's one of the best. And the things that he does in this film with that windmill, that's so cool. So why did I read this email on Monster Kid Radio instead of the Hammer Films podcast? Scott and I are bringing back 1951 Down Place. Well, last week we talked about the Monster Kid Radio Network, which is going to be Monster Kid Radio, 1951 Down Place, and then a handful of other things that Scott and I are working on behind the scenes, as well as some other surprises that will be coming soon. So MonsterKidRadioNetwork.com is how you get to the network page. Now, because we went to Monster Bash, didn't really do a lot with the website and the feed while it's available at monsterkidradionetwork.com. It's still not in iTunes. I don't know why I've submitted it to iTunes repeatedly. They have not accepted it yet. If anybody has any insight on that, I'd love your assistance, but eventually it will be in iTunes as well. Here's how it works. You subscribe to the monster kid radio network. You get monster kid radio, 1951 downplace and anything else that we include in the mix. If you only want to subscribe to Monster Kid Radio, well, you do that separately. No problem. If you only want to get 1951 down place, well, you can do that separately. No problem. We wanted to give you options. And I'm excited to bring 1951 down place back. Thanks for writing in, Dominique. If you want to be like Dominique or Ron, please write in at monsterkidradio at gmail.com and let me know what you thought of this episode or any of the previous 300... 20 something or other and we'll include that on an upcoming episode of the show or you can call and leave us a voicemail at 503-479-5657 that's 503-4795-MKR hey if you were at the Monster Bash I'd love to hear what your thoughts were if we didn't talk at the con itself or even if we did call in and let me know what you thought of Monster Bash I'll include that on an upcoming episode as well. Now, of course, our contact information is available on our website over at monsterkidradio.net. We also have links to our Facebook page and our Facebook group over there. We have links to every song that we play here on the show. Everything that we talk about on every episode is right there in the show notes. You can even become a patron of Monster Kid Radio and support our show that way. And speaking of Patreon and being a patron, I think it's time to go through our executive producer roll call list. These are the people that help support Monster Kid Radio at the Toho level or higher, and we appreciate everything you do for us here. We've got people like Mitch Gonzalez, George McGowan, Thomas Broussard, Tom and Eileen, Terry Mount, Jonathan Angarella. And, you know, Jonathan, I meant to ask you at the bash if I'm pronouncing your last name correctly. If I'm not, let me know. Tracy and Scott Morris, Joseph Perry, Jeremy Lamastus, Jeffrey Owens, Charles Babbage, Andrew Campbell, Frank Schildener, Richard Chamberlain, John Kilgallen, Daniel Cornell, and Ken Blows. I want to thank you for being a patron of Monster Kid Radio. Couldn't do all of that we do without your support. Also, speaking of support, 
none of the Monster Bash coverage could have been possible without the help of Alan, Anthony, Barry, Charles, Chris, Christopher, Evan, George, Jeff, Jonathan, Larry, Mitch, Nick, Peter, Steve, Steven, Thomas, Tracy and Scott, and Troy. You guys and gals know who you are, and I'll be reaching out to you here in the near future because I owe you guys. Ah, and a point of correction. Earlier in this episode, when we were playing the Classic Five at the Bash, I mentioned my favorite movie poster being the King Kong Escapes movie poster from Italy that features characters from Gamera. Hey, I was wrong. That's actually the movie poster from Italy from King Kong versus Godzilla. It's got King Kong looking like a Bigfoot right there. To the right behind him is King Ghidorah. And to the left is Gamera and Giron. The poster says King Kong Contro Godzilla, which is just Italian for fighting or versus Godzilla. And it's a poster that I would love to get my hands on at some point. But every time my wife and I look on eBay for it, it's always sold out. But it's an awesome poster. Check it out just because it's got Gamera in it. Who would win in a fight, Gamera or King Kong? Think on that until the next episode of Monster Kid Radio. Speaking of which, the next episode of Monster Kid Radio, you know, I'm going to space out the Monster Bash coverage. So next week, why don't we have Troy Howarth back on the show and we'll talk about the Bela Lugosi film or Bela Lugosi film, the Bela Lugosi film, The Invisible Ghost. Troy is a film historian, a DVD and Blu-ray commentarian and one heck of a writer. So we'll have him on the show next week. And I think you guys and gals are going to dig it. And then after that, we'll do some more Monster Bash coverage. And I think we're going to bounce back and forth between Bash and just regular content here. You're on Monster Kid Radio. And then next week, also, we're going to announce the winner of Anthony Wendell's book, The Handbook for Surviving a Giant Monster Attack. I'll gather up all the contest entries and we'll pick a winner randomly and announce it here on the show. And hey, one more thing to borrow a phrase from my friend Christopher RMM, you know, the guy whose movies you need to be checking out, including things like The Giant Spider and Where's Keto Nazi Hunter? People have started to wonder what's happening for next year's Monster Bash. Well, while I was at the Bash, Ron Adams at one point took the stage and made a quick announcement about some things that are in the works for next year. Take it away, Ron. It's going to be June 22nd, 23rd, and 24th of next year. And the theme is the Bowery Boys Meet the Monster Bash. And we have Leo Gorsi's daughter will be here. And uh, she has memorabilia of her dad, letters. She has his hat that he wore that he used to hit Satch with. And she has all kinds of stuff and great stories. Uh, and then also we have Victoria Price, who couldn't make it this year, will be here next year. She said there's no way she's going to miss it next year. So Victoria will be here. We've got three really good guests. I don't want to say yet. They're not totally confirmed, but there there's three that are pending that are going to be really great. So that's next June. Hey, Satch, will you stop clowning around and... You idiot, I'm going to give it to you in a minute. Did you call? Yeah, we... boys become spook chasers, moving to the country to pad down in a creep joint that's crawling with creeps. Linky, you need a shave. And a manicure. Yes, the Bowery boys are boning up on skeletons in the closet. The spirits are willing to play until the boys uncover the hidden treasure in the dead gangster's hideaway. 
it out, you guys. If there is some more money, let's find it. I don't want no trouble with these jokers unless they ask for it. All I want to do is find the rest of the dough and get out of here. I know it was you, I wouldn't have hit you so hard. Okay, bright boy. Pick it up. Well, as long as you're that polite. It's a hustle and a bustle and a tussle between the guys, the goons, and the ghosts right in the crazy middle of a haunted house. Until next week, remember that Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license. This is Monster Kid Radio. I'm Derek M. Cook. Ciao. Thank you, and may all your crimes be perfect ones. Good night. <laughs> <laughs>